Welcome to Propagate, where we grow in community by multiplying healthy groups through the ministry of the Word. This is a podcast by growth group leaders for growth group leaders. Thanks for joining us today. Here are your hosts. Hello, growth group leaders, and welcome to this week's episode of Propagate. I'm your host, Josh Smith. He means Saint Josh Smith. That is true. Patron saint of bad puns. Uh, patron saint of of that. Yep, terrible humor. <laughs> and uh, and I am your co-host, Saint, saint Zach Dietrich, also known as Saint Zachy Chan for obvious reasons. And um, uh, if I was the patron saint of something, I don't know, like I would be the patron saint of coffee. Ooh, or, if I could choose, it's probably been taken. But I, I I claim it right now if it hasn't been taken. Have you have you ever played Would You Rather, Zach? Uh, Zabmando. Here we go. Okay, Zabmando. I don't know what that means, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the Would You Rather game. Oh, okay. I'll take your word it's for a, it. It's the actual game. Is from it from a long time ago? Is that Japanese or what language? No is idea. Zabmando. Um. Okay. Anyway, would you rather <laughs> never have coffee again or never have donuts again? I think I would be a crankier person without coffee. I actually haven't had a donut for about three weeks, but I guarantee you I've had at least two cups of coffee every day. So not even a question. Not even a question. Farewell, donuts. If donuts had less calories, I do love the way they taste more. That would be good. One donut a day. like the- <laughs> One donut a day keeps the... Uh, sorrow. It's away? actually my theme song. There is actually a real song called One Donor Today. Oh, uh, once again, that one went right <laughs> over my head, which is perfectly fine. Um, I don't know if it's your age showing. One Donor Today and everything will be okay. <laughs> Anyways, uh, you know donuts, they have a, a hole in the middle, right? Uh, patron saint of bad puns. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> what's... What's the hole in our holiness, Zach? <laughs> I don't know. It's been a few years since Kevin DeYoung wrote the book. So, yes, well, I think you're leading us down the path to Third, Third Thursday, Thursday Theology. Theology. And this week's edition is, this month's edition, is going to be on sanctification. We're yes. continuing to do third-person theology, which is on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, pneumatology, and we will be discussing sanctification, our growth in personal holiness, our progress in personal holiness and in Christ-likeness as it is worked out by the Holy Spirit. So what is what is sanctification? Zach? So sanctification and its root word basically means to be set apart or to be holy. And its root word, it's going to look similar to the word holy or similar to the word saint. And so that's why... Uh, I started us off by saying that we've got St. Josh and St. Zach here because we have been sanctified. We are, scripturally speaking, saints. Have we been sanctified or are we being sanctified? I feel like this is something some people struggle with as they try to wrestle with the doctrine of sanctification. And so to that, the answer is yes. And I appreciate theologians who while the Bible doesn't necessarily break it down in three different words, talk about three different aspects of salvation, our past, our present, and our future sanctification. And I think that can be helpful. In the past, we were positionally or definitively sanctified. That is, we were set apart as a member of God's family. And so we are 
now before God fully perfect yes. positionally. This is uh, this is fairly synonymous with another doctrinal term called justification. Um, Paul uses this term. He also uses uh, sanctification. But when he says justified, he is primarily referring to God's de- declaring us righteous. When God declares us righteous, he looks at us. He no longer sees our sin. He only sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So are we being sanctified or have we been sanctified? Again, the answer is yes. And so we get to the second aspect of sanctification, and that would be our present experience of it. And some people might call that progressive sanctification. And because is, they're they're liberals, right? Exactly. So, yes. Ah, uh, man. It's like I gave you permission by calling you Josh, the patron saint of bad jokes, to go deeper into it this time. <laughs> I've, you, you set me up. This is your oh, okay. fault, actually. You're, okay, you're right. Uh, so progressive sanctification. I'll give you that one. Yes. No, we're not liberal. So uh, progressive sanctification is that that daily uh, becoming more and more like Christ, becoming who we are positionally in our daily lives. I guess a a third question I want to ask, Zach. We have positional sanctification. We are declared righteous. We have progressive sanctification where we are being made righteous. But couldn't we also ask the same question we asked earlier? Are we sanctified? And say no. Have we been sanctified? Yes, positionally. But, I mean, I'm still a But the reason why there is progressive sanctification is we know that we are not there yet. We know that that uh, there's some disconnect. And I think that gets us to the third aspect of sanctification, that future, or some people might call it perfect sanctification, where we are one day perfect in the presence of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and we are eternally now set apart and perfect. So everything that was declared about us in the past, everything that we've been applying to us in the present becomes a perfect reality before God. Now, now you're making my, my head scratch a little bit, Zach, because uh, one of the hallmarks of the Reformation is that we are saved by grace, through faith, apart from works. And yet this idea of sanctification is entirely related to works, uh, where we are functional where when we are positionally sanctified, it's as if we have never sinned and we have only ever done good works. When we are being sanctified, we are um, being made into righteousness and we are growing in our good works. And then finally, um, perfectly sanctified. And at that point, we will no longer be sinners and we will have, um, we will have, perfect righteousness, and all of our works will only be good all the time. How, how is it that we can say we're not saved by works when all of this idea of sanctification is regarding our works? Well, uh, that makes me think of a few different passages. We think of, first of all, Ephesians 2, which reminds us that we are not saved by works, but we are saved for good works, which God has predestined predestined for us beforehand. And that leads us then to Romans chapter 8 and that beautiful golden chain of salvation where we go back from into eternity past in the mind of God to our glorification and then in the middle 
um, our, our current experience of justification in the Christian life. Yeah. So in Romans 8, um, we have this often misinterpreted passage that says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And a lot of people, they'll read that verse, slap it on a Hobby Lobby sign or on a, a coffee mug, maybe put a sticker of it on the back of their laptop and uh, it turns into this little spell that they cast every time they um, run into some sort of difficulty, knowing that there's always a silver lining in the middle of all of our difficulties or that um, don't worry, you'll, you'll have something good right around the corner uh, off of this. But what this verse is talking about is a lot more eschatological than that. It's referring a lot more to what's going to happen to us in the end than it is what could happen to us during our life. And Paul, he says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, his end, his goal. And then in verse 29, he says, the reason why is because those whom God foreknew, those he knew beforehand, he also predestined. He set the end of their life to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So God knew us before the foundation of the world, and he predestined us to be holy as Jesus is holy, to be sanctified, conformed to the image of his son. And the reason is so that Christ would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He is the perfect one. And now we are imaging Christ more fully. And then he says in verse 30, And those whom he predestined, he set aside for this particular goal, this purpose, this end. He also called them. He initiated their sanctification. And those whom he called, he also justified. He initiated it. He declared them righteous. And then it said, says, and those whom he justified, those whom he declared righteous, he also glorified. He actually finishes their salvation. And uh, something that's absolutely incredible about this passage is he says, those whom he justified, he also glorified. He uses that in the past tense still, as if um, because we are justified our future glorification, where we will be perfectly sanctified, is already done. So I think this gives us as believers great hope for sanctification. Our temptation is to think that it all depends on me. But true sanctification comes when we recognize that, as Colossians 3 says, our life is already hid with Christ and God. We are now becoming who we are already are in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not attaining on our own. We are simply acting out the miracle that God has already worked within our hearts. Thanks, John Piper. Yes. Acting the miracle. I went to that conference. It was oh, very good. I read the book. It was very okay. good. Um, so maybe let's, let's change directions for a little bit. And this is Third Thursday Theology, and you called it Third Person Theology. And let's connect the work of the Holy Spirit to our sanctification. Because we've gone through this so far. We've talked a lot about what God did. He's the one who justifies. He's the one who sanctifies. He's the one who who glorifies. He works out the entire process of our salvation. And yet, sometimes it's really, really hard for us to fight against sin in our life. And we really don't want to. 
Uh, our flesh is telling us one thing. Our uh, spirit is telling us another thing. Um, the things we want to do, we don't. The things we don't want to do, we, we end up doing those. And it can become really, really frustrating uh, where we get this idea that, okay, yeah, I've been saved. But now in my own works, I've got to work really, really hard to, um, to be holy as Christ is holy, yep. and we separate the, our conversion from our sanctification. And that, that temptation isn't new. That temptation goes all the way back to the church at Galatia, and the temptation to say, no, now that you've been saved, you need to go back to works of the law. And so a key verse in Galatians is uh, chapter 5, verse 25, which says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And one of the things that consistently plagues believers as our constant desire to separate our conversion from our sanctification. And like the Galatians, once we are saved by grace, as you were saying, we we default back to works. And we assume that everything that we need for our spiritual life, uh, we assume that all we needed God for was our spiritual life, and now we have to completely grow on our own. Why, why is it that we do that, Zach? Why is it that we default back to works in our daily Christian life, the propensity of our heart and just daily experience of battling sin, and perhaps maybe a, just a really weak understanding of the feeling feeling of the Holy Spirit. So wait, sanctification and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit are, are tied together. Our our works and the Holy Spirit are tied together. How does this work? So maybe we can make an analogy and let's compare how the Holy Spirit works in conversion with the way the Holy Spirit works in our progressive sanctification. So let's look at let's look at conversion and and how the Holy Spirit works and then let's look at sanctification. In conversion, the Holy Spirit gives us new birth. We might call that regeneration. And a key text for that is in John 3 when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and and he tells him that you must be born of the Spirit. And John 3 says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Jesus also talks about that in John chapter 6. So the question is, how does the Holy Spirit bring about new birth? So is it in John 3 some mystical experience or a bizarre event? No, the way... Maybe it's a burning in your bosom, as the Mormons say. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's their whole 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 spiel. Or a quiver in your liver. <laughs> that's the the free church model of it. Okay. Uh, no, the Spirit gives new life through the Word, and so this is what First Peter says: Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed or of imperishable, but through the living and and abiding Word of God. So, if I could be simplistic. And I could probably reduce this to a formula that spirit, the Spirit of God plus the Word of God equals spiritual life. So the Spirit of God and the Word of God are both needed to open our eyes to accept the truth of the gospel. And if it takes two parents to conceive physical life, maybe we could also say it takes two to conceive spiritual life. So that's the work of the Spirit in a very simple way. There's more going on in conversion. So if we're, if we're filled by the Spirit, Zach, uh, filled with the fullness of the Spirit, and the Spirit of God is within us and is working vibrantly, 
How does that presence of the Spirit bring about spiritual maturity and sanctification? So I don't think it's a coincidence that Colossians 3, 16 and 17 are nearly identical to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 18 tells us to be filled with the Spirit. And the result of that, as we'll talk about in, in a coming Third Thursday Theology, is that we are grown in spiritual maturity in our conversation and our worship and our attitudes uh, toward one another. Uh, and then Colossians 3 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And what does it produce? It again produces changes within our conversation, within our worship, within our, our relationships. I think the Spirit of God uses the word of God to produce in us Christ-likeness and spiritual maturity. So at the risk of being simplistic again, we might say that the Spirit of God plus the Word of God equals spiritual maturity. How does this relate? Because you brought up uh, Colossians 3 earlier. And uh, in Colossians 3, Paul says time and again, put to death what is earthly in you. And he lists off tons of different vices and sins that can plague the Christian life. Um, And at other times we are always commanded, put off uh, these sins, put them away. How does the works side of it, where we are told to work hard to put away our sin and to fight against it, to put it to death. How does that relate to the Spirit working? So as you are trusting that, I do think that's the, that is the Spirit working within you. As, it, like, um, as you are uh, working out your own salvation with tr- fear and trembling, you can know that that work is being energized by God, who is the one who is initiating and, and accomplishing that in your life. You make me think of another passage in Philippians where Paul, he's writing to the church in Philippi. And in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed or just as you have always followed what God has commanded, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Mm-hmm. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And when we use, when we see the term work out, it's not a one-for-one analogy, but I often think of going to the gym and lifting weights and flexing those, those muscles uh, so that they become stronger. And in essence, this is what Paul is saying, is he says, get to the gym and work out your own salvation. He doesn't say work for your own salvation, but he says work out your own salvation, meaning continue to obey as you have already been doing here in this passage, but do so with fear and trembling, with an understanding of who God is and an honest, genuine trepidation uh, for for his power. And then in verse 13, he's he kind of flips it on its head. So he says, work really, really hard to live a holy life and to obey God, But then in verse 13, he switches gears and says, For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. So not only does the Spirit of God plus the Word of God result in our uh, spiritual life and in our sanctification for conversion, that is true, but the Spirit of God plus the Word of God results in effort on our part as well. The Spirit of God works through his word to enable us to fight against our sin. So what are we trying to say uh, when we think about the Holy Spirit in relationship to sanctification? 
every member of the Trinity is a part of our sanctification. I think that understanding the role of the Holy Spirit in conversion actually helps us understand the the role of the Holy Spirit in our life right now. Just as the Spirit uses the Word to give us new life, so the Spirit of God uses the Word to make us mature and grow us to, to be like Christ. Just as salvation is impossible apart from the Word of God, so too spiritual maturity is impossible from the Word of God. And so that's why Paul, again, says, if we live by the Spirit, if he's the one who produces life in us, let us also walk by the Spirit. And the work of the Spirit in sanctification or in conversion, it's not a spiritual zap, it's not a strange magical moment or Holy Spirit hocus-pocus to many The results of the Spirit's work are unfortunately unimpressive. No tongues, no healings, no falling on the floor in fits of laughter or barking, but instead something better than that. Just new life, sincere worship, thanksgiving even in the toughest of times, and marked relationships marked with the submission. So to me, that is really the most supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining us today on Propagate, where we grow in community by multiplying healthy groups through the ministry of the word. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review wherever you are listening. Propagate is a ministry of Soteria Church in West Des Moines, Iowa. To learn more, visit SoteriaDSM.com today.